Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James. Uh, hello. 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 Shall we, shall we do hello? Just hello. It, just hello, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we're, we're recording this not too long after the game. It's now six o'clock in the evening. The game finished, what, around... Uh, four, four o'clock, yeah. four o'clock. So we haven't had an awful lot of time to uh, get our thoughts together or really re- uh, rewatch any of it. So a lot of this is going to be gut feeling stuff tonight. And here's where I think we should go with this. I think we should start by talking about the good things in mm-hmm. the Arsenal performance. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about the rest. <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't a lot uh, to to say that was good. I actually was doing player ratings today for ESPN, and within the player ratings, Mm. they have a separate section where they ask you to write the positives and negatives. Yes, I've been that soldier. You've been that soldier. And let me tell you, today, the positives was, you know, a real struggle. Well, what did you... I'm curious, actually, as to what you wrote. I mean, the only real positive I could uh, make of that was, A... We didn't concede more goals. Yeah. B, the, in part, that was due to Socrates making some uh, some excellent last-ditch blocks and, and Leno made a couple of saves, which were, I think, pretty easy for him, really. You know, there was no magic save. But beyond that, I would struggle to find any positives. Watford have just scored, by the way, if you're interested. Uh, oh, really? Wow. 3-2. Yeah. Three, 3-2. Two. Three, two. I am... Um... I think I did mention Leno because I thought that, you know, the volume of his saves was pretty decent. Mm. And the, I think the one from Bernard where Maitland-Niles kind yeah. of okay, that was a good ball one. slip and yeah. it was a clear one-on-one. I remember, was it Tim from 7am kickoff was talking about how many big chances Leno has saved this season mm. and that had to go down as a big one. I mean, yeah, the fact that it was just 1-0, I suppose, is the major positive because this is a race in which goal difference might play a part. I mean, it is so close... That one defeat feels really big. And I guess the reason it does feel really big is because this is the start of a run which includes plenty of away games, some of which look very tricky. And, yeah, we've not exactly covered ourselves in glory in the first outing. No, we haven't. It's actually worrying how bad we were today away from home at the start of a run of games in which, you know, five of our last seven games, well, now four of our last six games 
are going to be away from home. And today I felt like, you know, we went into this game in reasonable form. You know, we come back off the interval, put in a control, polished performance against Newcastle. And I thought, okay, today is the day to sort of not necessarily lay down a marker, but just show that, okay, as a team, we're better than the away form suggests. You know, we can translate what we do at the Emirates to Goodison Park or wherever the hell it is that we're playing because there's no real reason why these players who can beat Manchester United, who can beat Tottenham, you know, who can beat Chelsea should have such difficulty going to teams like Everton and Brighton and Southampton Mm. and Bournemouth. You know, and I'm not saying this out of arrogance or I'm not trying to belittle those clubs in any way. I'm just saying that if you can perform that way against those big teams, there's something really missing. There's something really wrong when you can't do it away from home against teams who who just simply aren't as good. Well, as well, does it not sort of sum up the Jekyll and Hyde nature of this team that we're coming off the back Mm. of one of our most controlled performances of the season in which you thought, look, this team looks so uh, in tune with what the manager wants from them. They look so confident. You know, we'd beaten United, we'd beaten Rennes. We completely dominated against Newcastle. Yeah. And then we produced what we did at Goodison Park. And I think that, to me, you know, that does say that... This is about home and away. And I know it's all, it's so, it makes you want to tear, well, it makes me want to tear what remaining hair I have left out. Because, don't, don't do it. You need it. You need it. You know? Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, hold on to what I've got. But mm. it shouldn't make the enormous difference that it does make for us, should it? I mean, like, no. you know, the, the contrast between our home and away form is so dramatic. Uh, it's kind of, I don't think there's an equivalent, you know, anywhere in the four divisions, really. There's a team who's quite so good at home and quite so inconsistent away. Yeah, I mean, we haven't kept a clean sheet away from home this season. No. I, You no. know, we can. I, I might come back to this, see if we can, while we're talking, think of any theories as to, you know, I do have a bit of a theory as to why our, our away form is is uh, so at odds with our home form. But we'll come to that a bit later on. And let's sort of go into the nuts and bolts of of today. Mm-hmm. The team selection, um, I, I sort of have some sympathy in terms of the team he was forced to pick in a way because Aaron Ramsey you know he, he came off the other night with a with what was said to be cramp then turned out to be a groin problem and mm. was clearly not considered fit enough to do 90 minutes it was a you know they, they'd obviously got the information to say that if you play him for 90 minutes you're going to put him at significant risk mm-hmm. of that that's just my guess as to why he chose El Nenny. Um, because otherwise, I think, that's it, a, it, it, I think that's extremely likely. Yeah, I think that's extremely likely because he he doesn't he doesn't go out of his way to pick out any, does he? No, that's very true. I mean, that was what his second start mm-hmm. in the league this season. So you know, he's a player who he doesn't really care for. He took him off at halftime today. He deems him absolutely expendable. So the only reason I can think of uh, that he started was because we were trying not to to do too much uh, or take too much of a risk with Ramsey. Um, the, the back three, back five, whatever you want to call it, has been absolutely fine 
in terms of the way we've played in recent weeks. You know, we, we'd sort of put the negative connotations of that formation aside. Um, you know, no issues there. Did you have perhaps a slight issue with Aubameyang being on the bench? I have to say, I didn't. And I thought, you know, the fact that Ozil again played as the sort of right side in the front three, it made me think, well, mm. you know, did we do that against Newcastle in part as preparation for some of these away games? It's something that, you know, we want to do, have one up front and two off him. Yeah. And Ozil and Mkhitaryan were those guys today. I, I you know, I looked at that lineup, and I think it's worth reiterating, we were without Koscielny, we were without Shaka, we were without Torreira. And I don't know... I don't really know what he could have done differently. I mean, yes, he could have put Aubameyang in for Lacazette, but I don't think you can take a risk with Ramsey. If he's if he's a kind of at risk of suffering an injury that puts him out for the remainder of the season, I just don't think you can do that. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. And I think the only other potential solution within the squad was to play... I mean, you could perhaps have played Licksteiner at right wing back and or Jenkinson and move Maitland-Niles into a central midfield role, but I think that's stretching it. I think mm. possibly you could have dropped, um, taken El Nani out and put Iwobi into central midfield, but I think that would have raised as many eyebrows as... Um, as the selection that he did make, it seemed, you know, it was basically all he had left in terms of midfielders with Ramsey, you know, nursing an injury, Xhaka out and Torreira suspended. That's the extent of our central midfield options. And, you know, um, the way they played today, uh, both of them would suggest that we need to add some depth there. And when you consider Ramsey is leaving, uh, you know, there's a there's a big job of work to do in the summer uh, when it comes to um, addressing our, our central midfield. But that's, you know, that's for another day. Um, mm. What the, about you? Did you did you have a concern about Lacazette versus Aubameyang? No, I, I don't think it would have been Lacazette versus Aubameyang. I, I think I could have played Aubameyang and Lacazette. I think that's what I would have done rather than play Mkhitaryan. And I can see why he chose Mkhitaryan. You know, that the uh, ostensibly a guy who will... Um, what will he do? What will Mkhitaryan do? Sometimes he'll do some good things, but most of the time, actually, now that I think about it, he's kind of a lightweight performer. But what he has, I suppose, is a physicality when you go into a, an away game. I don't mean that he's strong. I mean that he's he's got stamina. And I think that's why that's probably why he picked him. Um, well, I think he's been productive as well in the last few weeks. He has in the last few weeks. weeks and I'm not, yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying that he hasn't been productive in the last few weeks. I just think that if you take his Arsenal career as a, as a whole, mm-hmm. um, it's been pretty underwhelming for the most part. For me, anyway. Uh, other people might disagree, and that's absolutely fine. But for me, he's sort of an underwhelming. But I can see why I see why he he picked him. But uh, I just wonder if it if it was a return to the kind of cautiousness in Emery that has, in many ways been a factor in some of our our performances this season when we've struggled it's when he's erred on the side of caution for the most part you know and today felt it might you might call it sensible but maybe it was just a bit too cautious i don't agree with that okay. i don't think it was too cautious i think 
you know, he, he started Meza Ozil that he's taken flack for not doing away from home all season. He started Mkhitaryan. He had Lacazette there. He's got those wing backs with that really high starting position. I mean, I, don't, I think the last thing you could have accused Maitland-Niles and Kolasinac of in that first half is caution. They were so high up the pitch and, and Kolasinac particularly was repeatedly exposed. Mm. So, this is my thing. I, I People will look to the coach and say, he got the lineup wrong, he got the approach wrong, but... As far as I can see, he set that team out to basically do exactly what they did against Newcastle. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and, 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 and that's why, when I look at it, and I'm like, well, what goes wrong? I'm like, well, there must be a, a psychological component here. And I realise that sort of feels like a, a bit of a grey area answer, but it, it's the only thing I can think of that makes any sense. They just don't seem... I mean, to be honest, they looked like they were on their heels and I, throughout the whole from first the start. Half. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. it was another one of those first halves, wasn't it, where we play really poorly, and we've seen a lot of those under Emery this season. It's a bad first half. We're too passive. We're not competing. We're not uh, this. You know, I know we can talk about the intangibles and how difficult they are to measure, but you can see with your own eyes when a team is up for it, and you can see mm. when they're playing on the front foot. And you can see when they're, uh, even when they're playing poorly, when a team is trying to do something specific with, you know, with the way that they press or the way that they're organized. And that was all missing. You know, it was, uh, I don't know if I wrote this on the live blog, but I was certainly thinking it. It was like going through the motions football for our, so they were just going through the motions in that first half. It was football by numbers. There was nothing interesting or exciting or, um, What's another word I could use here? They just, it just felt like they were, ah, we'll play 45 minutes and, you know, if it doesn't work, we've got another 45 minutes to turn it around. They didn't seem as driven or as um, as up for this game as I thought that they would be, particularly when you've got to address that away record. And I think, you know, going back to your point about the team selection and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, I you know, I, I take that point. Absolutely. What I don't think a coach can necessarily legislate for is so many players being bad on the day. Yeah. So I, 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 I agree with you in that on that front. And I mean, I mentioned the player ratings. I mean, it was very difficult to give anyone above a, a five today for mm. Arsenal. You know, we were mm. in that territory and... Players were poor, but I, I do think that focus was an issue in the game. I almost wonder if, because, you know, we actually started in the first couple of minutes quite well. And we had that move where Lacazette probably ought to have had a penalty, you know, when he had that shot and, and mm. the guy takes him out. Was it Zuma? I forget exactly yeah. who brought him down. And I don't know. It almost felt like after that, we seemed to go into our shell. Like we were feeling sorry for ourselves for not getting the decision. And Genduzi put in a bit of a, a wild challenge on yeah. Luca Dean. What was what was the referee talking to him about before that? Because a couple of minutes before, he I had a word about with... the penalty. I presume he had been protesting about oh, the penalty, okay. right? And he was like, "Listen, keep it quiet." Shut and your then, mouth. yeah, and then I mean, I guess there was frustration in that challenge, but I mean, you know, it was a really silly booking in the first five minutes, and actually probably mm. had some part in the fact that he 
didn't leave a big imprint on the game from that point. Yeah, absolutely. You had to play um, conservatively. You couldn't make a challenge. We were, I mean, the midfield was weak enough as it is already with Elneny mm. and Gendouzi. That is not a partnership any of us really want to see on a regular basis, uh, if ever again. I'm, I'm quite sure that I don't. Um, but yeah, it was a silly booking to pick up. And, uh, you know, you can say he managed it well in that he didn't, you know, come across the referee's radar again, but he had to play within himself then. And we were already lacking something in in midfield. And and that just contributed to the fact that we couldn't make uh, or couldn't take any control in, in a key area of the pitch. Even um, late on, I think I put something in the live blog. I can't even remember who was on the ball, but it was around the 71st minute of the game. I put it in the live blog so I can remember. Um, let me see here. Oh, maybe I didn't put it in. I thought it was around the 71st minute. Yeah, 70, 71 minutes and six. And I remember looking at an Arsenal player uh, with the ball. And in the center of the park, there wasn't an Arsenal player anywhere. There was nobody anywhere. Mm. Nobody for him to pass to. And we saw that throughout the game. Ramsey was looking for people to pass to. When we had throw-ins, people were standing still. All that kind of stuff where, you know, there just wasn't the requisite effort, physical effort, to make life difficult for Everton. And on top of that, players were bad. Mkhitaryan was bad. Ozil was, you know, Ozil away from home. Maitland-Niles was bad. Um, Kolasinac was bad. Uh, Hmm. Mkhitaryan, bad. There's the sawing going on uh, next door to you. That's bad. You know... um, (laughs) You know, uh, there were a lot of, as you say, four and five out of ten performances from far too many players. But so, and and Everton, I think, adopted a relatively physical approach. I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is not the world's greatest centre forward or anything like it, but he scrapped for everything today. And you know, Arsenal just weren't winning enough of those Mm. first and second balls. And you know, Richarlison should have done a lot more than he did given the space that he got time and time again on that right flank I mean I've never seen a player get in behind quite so easily before it was really alarming Uh, Bernard as well a couple of times they just (sighs) absolutely took us apart Mm. and physically we we weren't there we weren't at the right level we weren't switched on enough and it's really disappointing because the stakes are high at this point in the season you know, I don't know if going to third in the table last week allowed some of these players to get ahead of themselves here or think that they'd made it into the Champions League because on today's evidence, you know, they're a long, long way from doing that. Yeah. So what what about the goal? Let's talk about the goal. Um, I, I've seen people on Twitter talking about how it should have been disallowed because the guy, he put his foot over the line when he was taking mm-hmm. the throw and by the letter of the law, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I can't, um, I can't get hung up on that. Well, yeah. if the, if the, if our defenders had spotted that and consequently stopped defending, and that was the explanation <laughs> for why they were all just stood around, then I would maybe buy it. But they don't know that's happened. Yeah, they're playing on, and frankly, I thought the defending was really weak on that set piece. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's so clear what they're going to do. They're going to go long. We know that. We know he's got that in his armoury, and we all just stood absolutely flat on our heels. Mm. I found it maddening. And I also found it kind of shocking. It's just a visual thing, but how quickly 
Arsenal arms went up. It almost felt like they appealed rather than defended. It, it was bizarre. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think you just touched on something very interesting there in, in that you said maybe these players, having gone into third, um, got a bit ahead of themselves. And I think sometimes we have good reason to feel a little bit hard done by by refereeing decisions or whatever, but I think that's true of, of you know, lots of teams. But I, I get the sense from some of these Arsenal players that they constantly look for an excuse or an out, you know, when mm. they perform badly or when they don't do their jobs properly, they're always in the face of the referee as if it's somehow his fault. I mean, the referee had nothing to do with that goal. It was shit defending. It wasn't aggressive enough. Uh, you know, Monreal picked up a booking for for dissent. Um, Genduzi got a talking to within, what, three or four minutes of the game for, um, for back chat, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think there's something there. And I think there's it ties into why I think we have a problem away from home as opposed to at home. And I think go, it's... We'll go on. What do, what do you mean? That, the that? only thing that I can think of is that it is the character of these players. They're comfortable at home. They feel comfortable. It's nice. Everything is nice. They get looked after. They're comfortable at the training ground. It's beautiful. It's lovely. Everything is wonderful for them. Mm. But the minute things get a little bit testy, we don't have the character to to rise above it. It can only be mental weakness with too many of these players. It's ingrained in them. Because, you know, if you can produce the results that we produce at home... There's no reason why you should have uh, this kind of um, dichotomy when you're on the road. It's not about their talent. It's not about their skill or their ability. It's, it can only be one of those intangibles, their character, how much they um, can put adversary or difficult situations behind them and get on with their fucking jobs. It feels like they're too keen to have a moan and have a groan and shout at the referee and complain about this, that, and the other. And the reality is when you look at today's performance, not enough of them did their jobs. And when it started going wrong, it stayed going wrong, apart from like a 10-minute period at the start of the second half when Ramsey came on and almost single-handedly lifted the team and drove the team forward. But that was just one guy. Yeah, and I found that so alarming because as soon as he came on, any fan watching that could feel what he was doing that the rest of the team weren't. Exactly. To be fair, I would probably say the same for Alex Awobi when he came on as well. There was an intensity to their game that just was not there from the start, from the rest of this side. Yeah. Uh, and and it was it literally pulled it into contrast, pulled it into view when Ramsey came on because straight away we had a midfield and we had a player out there playing at something like the right level. And you know he actually I thought faded the second half went on, probably didn't sustain that impact, but it, you did see it then. And I I watched that and I thought the scary thing about this is he's the one who's leaving. Yeah, absolutely. 
And when one guy can come on and show everybody up in that way, like it was impossible that he was going to be able to maintain that for uh, for 45 minutes because what he needed was other players to step up and mm. to uh, and to do the same as he did. And nobody did. Nobody did. I think you're right. Iwobi, when he came on, tried. But apart from that, it was just... It was just like, oh, this is what's happening. You know, they accepted, meekly accepted another away performance like that without without trying to address it. You know, it was everyone was looking for somebody else to be the guy to do it. And Ramsey came on and tried and couldn't do it, you know, enough. But mm. as a collective, as a collective, it's an absolute failure. And I wonder about you know, who's on that pitch that should be leading these guys? You know, we talk well, about... I mean, and we can't stress enough, I don't think, what a huge miss Laurent Koscielny is. But mm. again, that feeling kind of instills a little bit of the same fear that I have about Ramsey. You know, that this guy, whether he's here next season or not, he's not going to be here for too much longer. And he's not someone you can rely on to play every single game. And yet we are utterly dependent on him to hold the defence together. And I think to a certain extent, hold the team together. Yeah, I mean, I think you could see that we missed Shaka as well today in, in midfield. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, that's true. And he's a player who came, comes in for a lot of criticism. And I think people always are kind of looking for the first opportunity to dispense with him. But what I would say is he's never been out of the team for a spell and stayed out of that team. He, he almost always comes back in. You know, managers essentially want him in there because of what he brings. And yeah, we miss Shaka, we miss Torreira, but... I, I maintain, and I, I said this before the game, and uh, I said before the game, I think this team, this 11 that we've put out is good enough to win this match. And, you know, halfway through people are saying, oh, I bet you feel stupid saying that now. I don't feel stupid saying that at all. I, I still insist that 11 players that we put out and the substitutes that were involved should be good enough to beat Everton. They won't always, but they should be able to. And yet they did not perform at anything like their potential today. Anything I, close to it. Sure. No, I agree. I agree with that. But what, what I would come back to is the inability to produce and to perform away from home um, is down to these players, I think. Um, you know, people can talk about Emery and his team selection and all that kind of stuff. I just think that too many of these players are fundamentally weak character-wise that you can't expect them to go away from home uh, and play Everton and be able to beat them because there's too mm. much evidence to suggest that they can't. You mm. know, I, I like if you were to play that game at home, I would feel confident that that 11, weak and all as it was, would be good enough to beat Everton. Yeah, I and don't I think believe. Well, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think, you know, people think that the kind of home away thing is intangibles, and you hear people saying, well, the pitch is the same size, the players are the same, I don't understand the problem, but it is psychologically a different test. It's a very different prospect performing in front of 60,000 people who are cheering everything you do, who are booing every action against you, who are constantly berating the referee for not giving things your way than it is to go to somewhere else and be on the opposing end of that. Yeah. It's, 
I think it is absolutely a different thing. It's like if you're in, in any job, if I say uh, you've got to go and give a presentation to your office or you've got to go and walk into the office of your nearest competitors and give it. And some people, some people would say, I'll relish that opportunity and I will, you know, rise to it and show them what I can do. But other people would crumble. And unfortunately, Arsenal's just seem to have too many crumblers. Too many crumblers. What a brilliant way of putting it. And you're, you're right. We do have too many people who, who just can't do it uh, away from home. And I think we have to seriously address that um, because tactically, positionally, all that kind of stuff that Emery can do, you know, he's, got, he's gone through the whole gamut of it this season, hasn't he? In terms of what he's done away from home, you know, 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1, you know, three at the back, 3-5-2, whatever formation you want to, you know, we still haven't got on top of this. And the, the the importance of today's game, I think, was an issue as well. Um, mm, that's interesting. Do you think we felt the pressure a bit? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Why not? On top, you know, they're going into this game unsure of themselves away from home or or willing to to be taken down that rabbit hole of a shit away performance because it's so just it's just what we do. It's what we do now. It's who we are and it's what we do. Uh, and when you add a bit of pressure on top of that, then I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what he can do to fix it. But unless he does, and he's, you know, he's got like, what, three weeks, basically, to get it right. Mm-hmm. Then this season, all of a sudden, starts to become more European focused. Well, I mean, I hate to break it to you, but we can't win the Europa League without two away games and one on neutral territory. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we can't do it all at the Emirates Stadium. And, uh, yeah, it's. I think this game as well, you know, I I accept we didn't get the luck of the officiating. You know, we probably should have had a penalty. Yes, within the, the letter of the law, their goal shouldn't have stood. But I think I would have a lot more time for that argument if I felt that we had in any way performed. Um, but we just didn't. And actually, a 1-0 scoreline was not really a fair reflection of the game. Yeah. They ought to have put us to the sword, really, particularly in that second half. I think they could have really run away with things. Yeah. And the fact that we got into the last 10 minutes with a chance of scraping something back, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe our luck that we were in with a chance of scraping a point in this. I was like, this is a gift from the gods. Maybe we're going to take it. Maybe it's our day. Maybe we're going to escape with a very, very lucky point. And to be honest, it never at any point felt like we were going to do that. I heard no. you know Emery say after the game, we had three good chances. And I'm, I'm really, really struggling. Aside from the Aaron Ramsey volley that went over the bar to think mm. of any. I think the, the only one that, springs to mind is Mkhitaryan curling one just wide I'm not sure you'd necessarily say that was a good chance Mm. it was a nice bit of play from Mkhitaryan it was basically the only good thing he did all day Uh, you know when he cut inside and curled a shot beyond the far post but you know Aubameyang came on and we didn't play to any of his strengths I know it's a little bit difficult when Everton are sitting and you know they don't have to come out and and leave space for him to exploit but even the way we started the second half and I looked at the team when they were lined up and I thought hang on a minute here why are we playing Mkhitaryan on the left hand side when he's 
always been much more effective for us on the right. And why are we playing Aubameyang on the right-hand side when he rarely... I know he came on the other night and did a decent job, you know, playing there more or less. But generally speaking, when he scored for us, um, when he's been played in a wide position, it's been out on the left-hand side. So we have two players... You know, one of whom's out of position anyway. Aubameyang is a striker and he's being played out of position anyway. But Mkhitaryan is a guy who normally plays from the right-hand side. And I thought that was a bit strange. I was wondering, I don't know what the logic was there. No, I'm not entirely sure either. And actually, you know, I, I think Emery is a little bit culpable in that respect. I thought if you're going to bring Aubameyang on, I think you've got to do that thing where you go to the split strikers and the number 10 behind. Uh, instead, we were just kind of shoehorning him into the wide areas. And, and I think if you were going to do that, you might as well have brought Iwobi on. I think he probably would have had more impact in those positions because he's generally better on the ball in the approach play. I can understand wanting to get Aubameyang on, but I think if you are, get him up front alongside Lacazette properly in a, in a two where we've seen them be effective. Uh, yeah, I, it, that was... A frustrating one. I was, I was slightly surprised as well, I shouldn't be, that El Nenny came off. I just thought Ganduzi being on a booking might be you know, enough to to make him be the the full guy. I wasn't surprised to see Kalasinac come off because I, I was really disappointed at his performance today after a good run of four. Yeah, yeah, and I think he passed with 52% accuracy, so he was sort of at his back worst. Back to his worst. Back yeah. to his worst today. But, you know, that was true of, of too many of our players. Um, I think Socrates and Mustafi actually... Did okay. You know, I think they bailed us out a couple of times. Sokratis yeah. made a couple of very good blocks. Four, he your... blocked four shots. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, we don't give Mustafi a lot of praise on the show, but no, I thought he had I, a couple of decent I moments. thought Mustafi generally was fine. You know, he did he did pretty pretty okay, apart from a couple of... Uh, there was a really bad pass late in the game when we were in injury time and we just needed to keep possession and put the ball up, up the other end of the pitch and he gave it away and we ended up with uh, uh, with Everton having a corner and then there was that foul mm. <laughs> uh, on uh, near the halfway line late in the game and I'm thinking, what? I don't know what he's thinking in terms of the way he defends. So the, there are those moments that sparked a bit of a... Uh, a, a bit yeah. of a hoo-ha on the sidelines. I think Emery and, and Marco Silva had a few words afterwards and Emery was saying, look, yeah, sorry, it was all a bit. But <laughs> you see Mesut Ozil throwing his jacket. I mean, what was he yeah. throwing his jacket at? What was that? Who was he throwing I, his jacket at? And I, why? I, I mean, it looked like Emery, didn't it? But uh, <laughs> it was strange. I think he was just trying to sort of throw <laughs> throw a sheet over Marco Silva. It was bizarre. Uh but that was kind of our performance summed up, wasn't it? You know, throwing our jackets in the air uh, instead mm. of actually doing anything. And we, we mentioned Socrates there. What did you make of the incident in the first half? I know we've sort of analysed this game in quite a circuitous manner, but the where he picked up the fateful booking, of course. Yeah, I wish he hadn't picked up that booking because we're going to miss him. And I think, you know... Um... He is... I mean, did, 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 did he have an option there? Maybe. I'd have to watch it again. Can I watch it again? Yeah, watch it again. I mean, what I'll say while you find it is I was disappointed, but there's a part of me that kind of thinks with Socrates, you, you, you take the rough with the smooth. You know mm. he's going to get booked a lot of the time. And, you know, Martin Keown was regularly booked as well when he played. And it was just part of his game. And he is sort of the kind of defender who mm. I think 
accepts he's going to get yellow cards and is happy to walk that line. So mm. it's quite it's quite difficult to have too many recriminations. You're almost asking him to be somebody else, yeah, aren't you? not be himself. OK, here it is. I'm just going to have a look at it here now. One second. Changing the angle cleverly. Bernard with an excellent block. And it could be yeah. the He didn't fancy oh. the race. And, um, because there was a break on, Socrates wasn't... I yeah, I mean Mustafi was there, but then I guess if you played alongside Mustafi, <laughs> yeah, he's just thinking that I can't possibly I can't let this be his yeah. response. Who knows? I mean, for all he knew, Mustafi could be about to step up and play offside or something. So yeah, well, what he's done is he's given Mustafi a place in the starting eleven guaranteed for the next two games. Well, absolutely, uh, absolutely. I mean, look, we have Kashalny hopefully to come back in alongside. Mm. Um, uh, you know, into that back three, I should say. Still a doubt for Thursday. Still a doubt. Really? Okay. Yeah. So what? Wow. What the fuck do we do? But of course, the Crosses can play Thursday. That's that's. Not oh, yes, of course. Of course. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's fine. But, you know, in Premier League terms, um, it's not ideal because I think, you know, when we're going to... Um, who have we got? Is it Watford and Palace, I think? Watford and Palace. So Palace is at home. You know, I would like Socrates in the team to face Troy Deeney uh, and his, you know, gigantic cojones yeah. and all that. Um, well, the, I guess, is it good news in a way? Watford have just qualified for the FA Cup final. Maybe their focus won't be quite so much on the Premier League. The other side of that coin is they'll be absolutely flying after coming from 2-0 down to win that game. Yeah, maybe so. But maybe you're right. You know, it can be a thing where players aren't quite as committed because they don't want to get an injury to miss an FA mm-hmm, Cup final. Mm-hmm. And maybe the other side of that as well is Wolves could be a bit disheartened. Uh, having having lost that game from 2-0 down, it could be a confidence blow to Wolves. So, fingers crossed. I mean, I'm, I realise I'm absolutely and utterly clutching at straws here uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to try and... We're anything all doing that, it. Yeah, don't worry. Anything that might make our, our uh, away form or our away chances even better, or slightly better, I should say. Um, yeah, look, uh, I think maybe Socrates could have let that go, but... Like you say, it's not the kind of guy that he is. That's not what he does. Uh, he's always going to make that kind of a foul. Um, I think he tried to disguise is, it, didn't he? But it didn't work. Yeah, he always does. I mean, what I would say is as well, you've got to accept those bookings. They're not all needless, stupid bookings. Some of those bookings that he's picked up probably prevented goals. You know, he's he can be quite smart with his mm. bookings or at least prevented good chances. So you have to accept the cost of that. And unfortunately, it, it has cost us. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just looking now at the match stats for the game. We had 57% possession, but mustered just seven shots. Uh, Everton, 43%, 23 shots. 23 shots? Yeah. We let them have... Tw- I mean, it doesn't feel wrong uh, by any means, but it's that's a lot. It is a lot. That's it is a, a lot. lot, isn't it? Jesus Christ. The vast majority were off target, only six on target. But uh, those six on target were from very good positions. And, yeah, they they took us apart way too easily. And we are a team who we know we have defensive weaknesses. We know we're liable to concede stupid goals. When we've been, when we've been at our best is when we've found uh, our forward play, you know, clicking into gear. And it just never... It never did that today. And if you think... You know, back to the Spurs game, which I suppose was our last Premier League away game, was it? And which felt like a bit of a turning point. Sadly, we just weren't anywhere close to that. Um, No, no, not at all. 
you know, you, what you don't want is for that to feel not like a turning point, but by like an an outlier, an anomaly. Yeah, I, I, I have a I have a big worry now after this game because I feel like they know that there's a problem. They, they you know, they know there's a problem away from home. The players, uh, I was going to say they aren't stupid, but I think some of them might be. Um, <laughs> But, but that contributes as well, doesn't it? If we're talking about this sort of psychological element, when you go out there knowing, right, we're not very good at this, that you know that must mm. play its part as well. There I, I think it, I think it does, and this only adds to that as well. It's like instead of instead of making it slightly better and building the confidence slowly and making ourselves you know feel more secure away from home, we've only just added to those doubts. You know, we've it's got becoming a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? You know, exactly. We, we win at home, and that builds momentum. We lose away, and that builds momentum, mm. um, it, and, and and a very worrying momentum. I mean, you and I both predicted in our predictions that we would win this Whoa, fixture. What the, the fuck front, was I thinking? What was I? Uh, we were pissed what, what out of our doing? minds when we did that. I don't know what we were thinking. I was high on the cannabis. <laughs> it was it was about two p.m. on a Thursday. We were <laughs> all over the place, but I. Uh, yeah, I mean, what I would say is there there are going to be twists and turns. And I think, you know, there's real despondency out there about this result, and mm-hmm. I do understand why. But we are fourth, uh, and we've all played the same amount of games. Mm-hmm. You know, it is still within our control. It's in our ridiculously greasy, slippy flappy hands is that what you're for saying now. yeah for now for now i agree with you that there are going to be twists and turns in this chase for a top four place i just worry that we're going to be the ones that are doing all the twisting and turning sure. or most we're of gonna it we're going to be landing tw- on more snakes than ladders exactly we'll be twisting like who was the twisty guy chubby checker yeah mm. i think so I mean, yeah, it it doesn't feel great because actually, you know, when you look at our remaining fixtures, uh, the away trips are against teams who sort of are a bit like Everton, you know, where you sort of never quite know what you're going to get. You feel like they can get the occasional big scalp. And when you look at the teams, they might get the scalp of Mm. which kind of prime suspect number one. I mean, Leicester, Watford, Wolves, Wolves, Mm. they all come into that category. Uh, yeah. of games we make look harder than they ought to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think fair play to you for trying to find a positive, a uh, little bit of a silver <laughs> lining to today because I I really can't. I don't think anybody, apart from maybe Socrates and Leno come, and Ramsey, you know, Iwobi, n- nobody really comes out of that game with any credit. And uh, I, you know, I wouldn't mind slapping some of them with a wet fish. Yeah, it was a horrible way to spend nine minutes of my life. There's no yeah. doubt about that. It was in no way entertaining. It wasn't even sort of one of those games where it's like... So bad, you know, it's good? No, I... Yeah, no, no it no, wasn't no. funny. It was just sort of painful and mm. boring. Really boring, actually. Really, really boring. Yes, I agree. Okay, um, anything else we should touch on from the game? Any incidents or moments or or any more of that shit that we need to like go through again or I think we've shoveled through enough of it we're going to have to shovel through more in the questions so yeah. okay. let's save uh, save what we can till then alright we'll take a break we'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page when I don't forget to post it there, which I did tonight. So apologies to everybody who uses the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And also on the Arsblog Discord server, which you can get access to if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash arsblog it costs a fiver a month you sign up you get lots of extra stuff including uh, a chat server in which you can leave questions for the arsecast extra uh, i'm not this isn't a question but i like to read this one out uh from mr underscore idiot who's at mr underscore idiot underscore wind on twitter and he says was ozil's reaction on the bench a tribute to his favorite album no jacket required by phil collins and if so <laughs> should he receive a ban Absolutely he should. If it was a tribute to that album, not only should it be banned, he should be sold forthwith after being flogged. Actually, we should do what they did to Ned Stark in season one of Game of Thrones. That's what I reckon. Yeah. It's harsh. It's harsh, it's harsh but you've got, you've, you've got to draw the line somewhere. Exactly. Uh, and who knew that Mazzas or Lucky Phil Collins would ultimately be the straw that broke that poor camel's back uh, let's have this question from 7am 7 7 kickoff mentioned him in part one uh, and Tim asks are Arsenal overperforming at home or underperforming away underperforming away that's yeah. right yeah I think so I think they're underperforming away like the for the last two seasons we've been really good at home We've sort of been consistent enough at home that yeah. it's kind of difficult to argue that that's kind of a fluke. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's my point. Whereas we have been, I mean, we've been better this season away from home than we were last season. But, you know, the bar was set so low last year that it wouldn't be difficult for for some minor improvement just to happen as a matter of course, you know. Mm. But it's definitely an underperformance away from home rather than... But- overperforming at home but for me feels, anyway yes i know exactly what you mean but i think arsenal are underperforming away but i think there is something bigger than that happening which is you know when like a team becomes a cup team where they're sort of not very mm. good in the leagues but they're good in the cups it's kind of difficult to decipher why yeah i think arsenal have become a home team they have become a team who are excellent at home and bad away. And I think it is sort of endemic now. I think it is sort of in our culture. Uh, and, and, you know, that's not a new thing. It's happened to other teams in the past. Unfortunately for us, most of those teams sort of tend to be in mid-table. Yeah. Do, do you remember that famous story where 
uh, I can't remember the exact context of it, but it was Manchester United. And mm. I think Sir Alex Ferguson's team talk was, lads, it's Spurs. Mm. Could have been that game where they were like 2-0 down or something and they ended up coming back to win 5-2 or something. But whatever. The, whole, the point was, lads, it's Spurs. You know, mm. this is Spurs. This is, this is kind of who they are. And I'm not necessarily drawing a comparison between us and them, but if you were in a if you were a a team facing Arsenal at home, you'd fancy it, wouldn't you? You'd go, lads, it's, it's Arsenal. You know, it's yeah. not it's not like oh shit, it's Arsenal. Fuck. You know, if you go to the Emirates, you're like, mm, okay, this is going to be difficult. But the evidence, the mountain of evidence, is there to suggest that if you're a, a team in the Premier League and Arsenal come to visit, chances are you've got a you've got a reasonable hope of getting something from the game, whether it's a draw or or three points. Lads, mm-hmm. it's Arsenal. Like, what do you think yes, Watford are going to be saying good. ahead of next Monday? Come on, lads. Probably something about cojones, if I, if I remember uh, yeah, correctly. Yeah, I get it, but it'll be like, come on. It, the, you know, they'll be straight into us in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of that game, they'll be mm. like super honest. They'll be physical. And unless we do something like score early, you know, they'll fancy their chances of, of making life really difficult for us. And, and for us to, you know, be the little footballing fucking tortoise that we are. And we'll go straight back into our shell the minute things don't go right. That's what we are. We're a tortoise. Uh, and they've got players, you know, physical players like Troy Deeney, like Decore, who mm. can make it a very difficult afternoon for us if they want to, yeah. and who will relish that challenge. Exactly. And, you know, the thing about it is, if you're a tortoise and you go into your shell, it doesn't mean that they can't, like, stick a knife in the open bits of your shell and poke you with it. You see? That's true. A tortoise is never really safe. No. I mean, if you go in the shell, you know, they could just put push the shell off a cliff. Exactly, or they could idea, pour, like, boiling oil in there, paraffin, yeah. set you on fire. Poor little fucking turtle guy that you are, but it's your own fault, you know. Get out there and be, be, get out and be a snapping turtle. That's what we need to be. Not, snapping turtles, not hiding turtles. Yeah, exactly. Those are vicious fuckers, those snapping turtles. We need to be yes. one of those. We need snapping to be more like a snapping turtle. I hope Unai Emery, is, I hope that's his team talk. In one dressing room, it's lads, it's Arsenal. In the mm. other dressing room, he's just holding a snapping turtle and saying, I hope you're all looking at this, boys, because this is what I need from you. Mm. I, I, I mean, I don't really see any flaw in that. You might as well give that a fucking try yeah, as much as anything else. Just before the game, you know, sometimes like Barcelona famously before the Champions League final showed a sort of uh, a special sort of hype montage that they had edited together, which kind of built up the team and showed all their skills, a kind of YouTube compilation. We could like clip bits of planet Earth and stuff, just all the (laughs) sort of David Attenborough talking about snapping turtles and just stick that on a projector. Yeah. And say, now get out there and show them what you're made of. Leave your shells in the dressing room. It's just, it's too much. I mean, I should point out at, at this stage that I would estimate 96% mm. of the questions that we've received are about our away form 
Sure. And, and why is it why, so shit? Why is it so bad? Why are we so bad on the road? Um, yeah. So there's going to be a little variety to this to this part of the podcast. Uh, but we I, do have sympathy with that because, you know, it's what we're all banging our heads against the wall wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there are some other questions, though, that we can do. There are. Okay, I've got one here. I've got one. This Go is on. from John, who's at JJ2160. And he says, how badly do we have to play for Dennis Suarez to get a game? Pretty badly. I mean, we had this question from 1.76 Acres who said, is Dennis Suarez funny, a good chef, a killer bridge player? Just trying to figure out why there was such a strong need to get him here in January. And they ask, would we have been better off giving his minutes to a guy like Saka, if only for the experience? I mean, what minutes, to be honest? Yeah, what minutes? What minutes? Um... I, I, I will say, actually, I... Received a, a message a on telegram. Twitter. A telegram. <laughs> yeah, a guy who went on a tour of the Emirates Stadium right. this morning. Okay. Uh, and he managed to, while he was there, he was in Unai Emery's office and there was a, uh, a, a board with the team for the Newcastle game written on it. But it wasn't just the starting 11. Sort of next behind each player, he sort of had the backup so, you know, for, based on his substitutes and his all the different variables ah, that he could okay. have deployed. And I can tell you now that obviously we started that game with Ozil and Iwobi behind Lacazette. And Iwobi uh, had Mkhitaryan written underneath it. So it's clear right. they were sort of considered like for like. And uh, Lacazette had Aubameyang and Nketiah written beneath. And it was Meza Ozil who had Denis Suarez written underneath on the right-hand side. Um, so that was Dennis Suarez's role in the matchday squad, putatively, is that he was the backup for Meza Ozil. But I, I suppose mm. what that does tell you is that perhaps when Dennis Suarez was signed, Unai Emery did not anticipate Meza Ozil becoming a regular part of the first team. And I think that, as much as, you know, Iwobi's form and Mkhitaryan's return from injury, is what has really inhibited his, his opportunities to actually play any football for us. Right. He does feel very pointless at this stage, though, doesn't he? I'm not saying that, you yeah. know, he, he, he is, uh, you know, incapable of producing something for us at some point because, you know, we, we've seen some nice moments for, uh, from him at, at Barcelona. Uh, but you look at him and on a day like today, and I was thinking about this during the game, I was going, we've got two substitutes left. Or one substitute left, rather. And it's either Iwobi or Dennis Suarez. And we're losing away from home and we're playing poorly. Um, Who do you bring on? And not for a second did I think Dennis Suarez was the guy to bring on. He feels, you know, he's the kind of guy you could bring on after 60 minutes in a game at home against a team who are relegated, who are playing with 10 men and who've all got food poisoning and you're 3-0 up and you bring him on after an hour. And he'd mm. probably have a very nice time. Well, it's, it's telling, isn't it? I think the most uh, eye-catching substitute carrier I can remember from him, I think was probably in the Man United game uh, that we won in the... 
uh, league, was it? Yeah. League? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other player who came on at that point, around that point in the game, was Eddie Nketiah, uh, which shows, yeah. I guess, kind of how comfortable we were at that time and how uh, relaxed Emery presumably felt to well, be yeah. making those kinds of changes. And Nketiah didn't come on until about the 85th minute or something like that. So right. he was a bit later. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I You know, he's there. He's a person. He exists. He's real. We're paying him money. I mean, the thing is, he's kind of, uh, you know, the El Nenny of the playmakers. You know, El Nenny's <laughs> been that sort of peripheral figure in the squad, but then there have been a spate of injuries and suspensions. Suddenly he's in the team. And, you know, you can't legislate for that. It, it's not unthinkable that Mkhitaryan, Ozil, Awobi could go down with injury or illness or whatever and then suddenly Dennis Suarez has, has got his chance but if everyone's fit and firing I don't really see how he gets a look in at all yeah 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 I think he's like he's a safety net I think I've said this before he is yes. uh, he's a safety net player um, okay have, Go I've on. got a question from Discord Go on uh, it's from Mark Mark 2510 and Mark says, would you say it's fair to say we need to judge players for next season depending on this year's waveform? We will never win a title with this current mentality. And the quickest and best way to change that is to replace brittle personalities. There's no point judging players in their comfort zone because it's easy to play nice football when you have 60,000 people on your side cheering you on. I mean, I don't know if I would find it easy, but he says, what are your thoughts? Do you think when we're looking at how we should rebuild in the summer... It's the away form we should be looking at most most closely. One hundred thousand million billion trillion gazillion machillion dillion percent. Yes, I thought you might say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Because the only way to address this away form issue is to bring in players who have got the mentality to deal with those situations. And we've got too many players who can't and don't and won't. And it's not a case of like sitting them down or, you know, I've seen people, people, uh, you know, are asking questions about, you know, do we need to bring in a psychologist or do we need to bring in a hypnotist? And I guess there's a certain element of like tongue in cheek to those questions, but probably not really. Like maybe if they thought a psychologist or a hypnotist might do some good, it would be, it would be beneficial to us. But no, you, you as long as these guys remain in the team, uh, guys who don't have the right characteristics to fight and to perform away from home, out of their comfort zone, then it's just going to be the same old thing over and over again. So, yeah, let's judge the players who've done it away from home. Mm. I mean, do you, I, would you, would you disagree? I mean, I, I'm I mean, not I, saying, I'm well, not I was saying, just trying to, go on. I'm not saying that like you can just immediately get rid of everybody because um, away from home, you know, Collectively, we're bad. Collectively, we're bad. So it's very difficult to say, well, it's this guy or that guy. It's sort of like a uh, a stew of shite, you know, when we when we travel on the road. But I think if you were to replace two or three players in key positions who had more character, who had more personality, who didn't accept being rolled over, 
week in, week out, when they go away from home, then results would be better. And I think you might get other players who who come on that journey with them a little bit, you know? Mm. Well, is it not possible that if you just added a couple of players who weren't quite as susceptible to what we'll term travel sickness, that the others might respond to it? Yeah, you know, it is, yeah, yeah. Without wanting to go down the sort of Arsenal need a leader, you know, argument too much, if you could add two or three players like that, could that galvanise everybody else? Uh, I mean, is there anyone in the squad that you look at and think they do seem capable of replicating their level of performance, whatever the circumstance, whatever the stadium? Um, hard to think today, certainly, after after it, what went on. It is hard to think today. Uh, I just think that today maybe we exacerbated that with you know a central midfield that had no control whatsoever and we weren't able to dictate the game or control the game in any significant way until Ramsey came on and Ramsey did his thing for 10 or 15 minutes and then Everton realized hang on a minute it's only Aaron Ramsey he's the only one doing it so if we can get around Ramsey quickly and get the ball off him then all of a sudden we stop Arsenal and that's kind of what happened they got back into the game and created all those all those chances. So, um, I've forgotten exactly what your question was. Just, is there anyone who we sort of think, look, we can count on them away from home as well as at home? I mean, yeah, maybe well, Socrates. Socrates, I would say Ramsey. Monreal normally. Ramsey or Monreal normally, but I think today was a day when we saw Monreal's legs getting a little bit heavy. I don't think he had the legs to cope with what happened today, and that's a, mm-hmm. a little bit of a worry. Um, who else? I mean, Ganduzi, we don't know because he's still too young uh, too young and too too raw. Uh, you know, I think today was another example of why it's, it's reasonable to be cautious with Ganduzi and the expectations that people have for him. You know, yeah, I, and I think historically, it's not a new thing, is it, that young players might find... It easier to play in a home environment than away. I mean, I seem to think that's always been the case. And, you know, Arsene Wenger was often reticent to, to throw younger players in. And I think Ganduzi and Maitland-Niles both struggled a good some part. What, what, do you think, um, what do you think of Ozil's performance today? I, you know, I'm not going to sit here... Don't and, set me up here. What are you trying to do I, to I'm me? I'm not. I'm not. I'm just genuinely <laughs> curious because, you know, I don't want to, like... Uh, point the finger of blame at him because, as I said, it was a collective malaise today. But we've seen throughout the season that Unai Emery has been reluctant to pick him away from home in the Mm. Premier League. Today, he picked him away from home in the Premier League and made him captain. And whatever you want to think of the role of captain, there is a certain measure of responsibility and leadership that, that comes with that. And I don't mean to say that Arsenal's performance with Ozil as captain was reflective of, of Ozil's character or whatever. But, you know, it, it was another day away from home against reasonable opposition, not brilliant opposition, not a top six side. Everton are, you know, a decent enough side where it passed him by. And maybe is today the sort of game where you think, okay, well, the team hasn't played particularly well, but we've got a, a wonderfully talented playmaker, creative, visionary, genius, mercurial talent who, if the team isn't doing so well, you know, 
he could be the guy who could step up and and do the job for us. But it, you know, is is Ozil not the personification of that player that we're talking about away from home? That weakness away from home, and you know, Ozil fans will go crazy at me, maybe, but it has been an issue with him throughout his Arsenal career, not just under Unai Emery. You know, Arsene Wenger quite often didn't take him on some of the more the more difficult away trips when we had to go, you know, north of the wall and play the wildlings. <laughs> you know, Mesut Ozil was, you know, sitting at home on the Iron Throne. Yes. Quite a few Game of Thrones analogies. References, isn't there? yeah. yeah. It's, it's coming back. So we need entirely. more dragons. We're not, we're not sponsored. We yeah. need more we dragons. Need we need a snap. Well, that's a big snapping turtle, a dragon. Yeah. I, uh, what did I think? I don't know if I would have started Buzzard Ozil today. I mean, you know, he, you know, he didn't start at Spurs and that was mm-hmm. our best away performance for some time. I think if Aaron Ramsey had been fit to start, I actually think there's every chance he would have started in the advanced role like he did against Tottenham, uh, linking up with Lacazette and breaking beyond him, possibly with Mkhitaryan. Uh, and so I, I think that was probably a factor. He wasn't great, no, and I think there is something to be said about him being captain of this team on this day and that being somehow emblematic. The thing about Ozil is, you know, often people say, well, Arsenal don't really play well unless Ozil plays well, and sometimes that is true. But equally... I don't necessarily feel that he's a player who has good games when the team don't have good games. It almost feels like his talent requires the platform behind it to really function. He's not an individualist like Alexis Sanchez who, you know, can just sort of get by on his own. And actually, you know, throughout our difficult away spells in the past two or three years, I seem to remember there was a time where Alexis Sanchez scored about 70% of our goals away from home. And I, I never really considered that coincidence because he was sort of someone who didn't require that tactical infrastructure to flourish. He could just sort of do his thing independently. I don't think Mesut Ozil is that guy. And that's not to make him a scapegoat for the fact that everything behind him went to shit, but he isn't the guy who can sort of bail you out in these Mm. scenarios. No. No, Uh, And, you know, I mean, we come back to that thing of, at that level of investment, I do feel that the percentage of games in which he can be a big contributor is far smaller than it ought to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and, and he will make a massive impact in those games and we'll get maximum points. And he's a big part, I suppose, of why our home form has been quite as good as it has over the past couple of years. But that is half the season. Yeah. This is half the season. Yeah. Um, okay. Here is a question from Discord, from the Discord uh, chat server. Uh, and it comes from Al W 75 who says, is the priority for the summer actually to find some players who have a consistent level of performance rather than an improvement in talent level? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think. I mean, ideally both, right? I yeah. mean, it seems like a sort of silly thing to say. Uh, but I do think consistency would be good. I suppose if we had someone who was, you know, fractionally worse in home games, but would produce the same performance away, that probably would be better for the team. I know it doesn't quite work is, like that. Isn't isn't consistency part of talent, though? Yeah, I think you're itself. absolutely right. Consistency is quality, isn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, and that's probably something that we don't recognise enough. You know, we talk about moments that players produce and we say, wow, they were outstanding in this one particular game. But someone who is seven or eight out of ten every single week, you know, I think that's what really successful sides are built upon. Yeah. Um, and that's what we would love to have. And I think, I think genuinely that is what's incredibly difficult to find in the market, especially for a team like us who aren't, you know, the top team in England. Yeah. You know, the two go hand in hand for me, to be honest. You know, consistency of performance and level of performance is what makes really good players. There's a lot of good footballers out there, but what makes them not great players or, or star players is their inability to do it uh, on a consistent basis. You know, somebody who can produce um, week in, week out, or, you know, everyone will have fluctuations of form, but you know that they can... Uh, they can give you something most of the time rather than give you something occasionally. Um, and we've got players who can give us stuff 50% of the time at the moment mm. um, yeah. to our away form. That's why if you said to me, sort of hypothetically, I can give you a Nacho Monreal who's four years younger or you can have said Kalasnach, I would take Monreal every time, mm -hmm. even though Kalasnach can have those games where he's absolutely outstanding and this huge attacking threat. Monreal probably very rarely hits quite those heights, but he, he, at his best, at his peak, was giving you seven or eight out of ten every single week. And yeah. it strikes me that defences particularly are reliant and dependent on consistency of personnel and performance. And in terms of performance, we've just really, really lacked that. We've really lacked it in, in in the last few years, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I would love players who are more consistent. It's a it's a tricky thing to scout for. You've got to do your homework. You've got to watch pretty much an entire season of a player and then make your assessment. But that's their job. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Speaking of um, that kind of thing, but not necessarily thinking of anyone in particular. Let me just see if I can find this question here. It was also on the Discord. Uh, it's from Corby, who says, if you if you could have pre prevented three signings in the past, which would you choose? Prevented three signings. Uh, I guess, let's say, from the... Benefit from, of what, hindsight. From, with relation to today's, to the team... No, no, the any, any, any three signings in Arsenal history, if you could have prevented them... What uh, I think be? I probably would prevent Mustafi. I think pretty much any centre back that we bought for that kind of money probably would have fared better. Yeah. Uh, in the intervening period, other bad signings we made. I mean, if you want to go back further, someone like Chris Kiwamia was a pretty disastrous signing, wasn't it? Mm. In terms of what we paid for him for Ipswich, it was a lot of money at the time. Uh, but I guess we had other players in that position, so it wasn't a huge deal. I mean, I, I definitely would have, I would definitely take Mustafi out. You know, that's 35 million pounds. And I think we could have done just as well with, you know, a kid from the reserves or from the youth team stepping mm -hmm. up or, you know, uh, a 10 million pound defender, uh, whoever that might have been at the time. I can't remember who else we were chasing that summer. Can you remember? Were there any other defenders in the, uh, there was the guy from Roma, wasn't there? Manolas? Were we yeah, not after that him was that definitely summer? talked about. Mm. I think that was probably the one that was talked about. Um, uh, Silvestre, for me, would be another one. I know we only paid £700,000 for him, but even now, as I picture him in an Arsenal shirt, I want to vomit. 
all over sure. my table. Absolutely fair enough. Uh, I'm just trying to think of back I mean, further than that. There's probably loads. I'm trying to you think know, of instances where there the were players impact. kind of sliding doors moments where yeah. we signed that guy, so we didn't sign that guy. Um, you know, it's not a good example, but because obviously I wouldn't undo this transfer, but obviously like the signing of Mesut Ozil prevented the re-signing of Cesc Fabregas. So there are other ones sort of of that ilk where we missed out on somebody mm. or made the wrong choice. Um I mean, you know, we bought Richard Wright instead of Jersey Dudek, and that was an absolute disaster. Uh, although Dudek, you know, had his moments as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Gervinho, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how realistic it ever was, but that was kind of a period in time where people were comparing Gervinho and Hazard, isn't it? Because they were both starring for that Lille side that won the league in France. And, uh, you know, we ended up with Jovino and I remember people making sort of big arguments on blogs about why we'd got the better end of it by getting Jovino, his, you know, how his stats were superior and things like that. Yeah. It certainly didn't prove to be the case. I'm not sure how realistically we could have got Hazard, you know, at that time either, but... Mm. Uh, Jovino is a, a decent, a decent shout. Yeah, I mean... He he did not work out, and we persisted with it for quite a while. Joel Campbell, I know he was a kind of popular guy, but like, did he, for me, he just kind of. He wasn't the worst player we've ever had by any stretch of the imagination, but just you know, chasing round, trying to get his signature done with the you know the seven agents that he purportedly had at the time, and we spent so much of our summer trying to get that deal done, and then we just loaned him out for four years. You know, it seemed Ooh, like an I've awful lot one. of it. Go on. Gallas. Oh, yeah, Jesus, how I feel so ashamed. I apologise to you. Sorry, you've probably all been screaming it at home. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would have prevented that happening. I mean, at the time, you know, the whole coal thing had become so... It had become so nasty, you know, that whole situation because Chelsea were flashing their new money around and Cole's behaviour was was not particularly great, you know, going off to meet Mourinho. And as we know, mm. Mourinho is history's greatest monster. Chelsea acted badly. Cole acted badly. People will say, in hindsight, Arsenal acted badly. Um, you know, over five grand a week to lose mm-hmm. someone like Ashley Cole was, was not great. But certainly, we should never have had that guy fucking playing for us or worst still that's got to be one of Arsene Wenger's worst ever decisions and when you think of some of the decisions he made down the years making William Gallas captain has got to be the worst right at the top the worst think of a worse one I mean Park Chu Young well we paid two and a half million pounds for him at least we got that rap battle video with those two guys in South Korea who you know (laughs) wanted to kick your head in or whatever burn my face yeah burn your face off yeah sort of no harm no foul there but Gallas I think making Gallas captain was an absolute disaster and uh, I think really hurt the squad I think it sort of almost fractured the squad I, I also think it did because like most of them thought he was an absolute cock yeah yeah and I know that for a fact for a fact I mean, on paper, I, when the transfer went through, it, it was a decent enough deal. Gallas had been really good for Chelsea until he started threatening to score own goals for them and things like that. 
And we were at least weakening a, a rival, you know, who was taking one of our best players. But he was a disaster as a signing. Really, really. And then poor. he went to and play for fucking Spurs, the cunt. Yeah. God, I would love to uh, undo that. Yeah, I think Absolutely. that's that's the king of all uh, signings to undo. Have you got any more? Uh, oh, I don't know. Shall I have a look? Yeah, I did I, have one, actually, about... Yeah. Um, Genduzi. It wasn't so much about today. It was on the Discord. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, Where is it gone? Somewhere there. It's somewhere there. Oh, here it is. Brian Regan. Right. He says, What do you and James envisage the final product that Matteo Genduzi is going to become? Is he a defensive midfielder? A box-to-box midfielder? I just don't know. I also just don't quite know. I think he's physically capable of playing that box-to-box midfield role. I'm not mm. sure he's purely defensive because I think he's shown this season that some of his, uh, you know, the range of his passing is uh, is useful in the, the opposition third or in the final third or in the opposition half. Uh, I'm tired now and I'm trying to make words come out of my mouth. But, you know, he does have a range of passing that's not necessarily uh, the, the remit of a, de- a purely defensive midfielder who's going to break up play, win the ball and, and give it to someone else who can do something with it. You know, physically, you know, he's got a lot of stamina. He can run. So box to box seems about right. You know, I, 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 I don't quite know I mean, uh, Emery loves him. That's clear. Unai Emery loves this guy. Um, But I don't quite know yet where he's going to end up. And I don't think he's ready to play consistently without senior players, senior partners with him. You know? Interesting. Interesting. I think he... I don't get the feeling he's going to end up quite as a sort of defensive midfield player. I don't think he's ever going to be Granite Xhaka. I don't think he's going to be someone who sits in front of the back four, like a kind of Pirlo player. I think that energy, that capacity he has to get up and down the pitch is going to be more part of how he plays. And actually... Sometimes I think when I look at his physical profile, I'm like, is he the closest thing we have to a, an Aaron Ramsey replacement? You know, someone who really can mm. get all over the pitch. Mm. But what he doesn't have that Ramsey does have is goal-scoring capacity. And handsomeness. Yeah. And handsomeness, of course. Yeah. Um, but he he never looks like someone who's going to get into the box, you know, and go beyond the striker. No, I don't think that's part of his game. Uh, so at the moment it's very difficult to define I think he's going to be a central midfielder I don't think in the long run he'll be the deepest midfielder but he's also not going to be a goal scoring midfielder yeah and maybe you know um, maybe he won't even be an Arsenal player in a couple of seasons time who knows he could very well be a mainstay in our team he could also be somewhere else either because he's so good (laughs) that someone else has taken him or because, you know, uh, he hasn't quite lived up to his potential. It's just so hard to say about a player that you've only seen for a year who's who's still only 19 years of age. So it's difficult. Uh, I've got a couple to finish with. Um, Go on then. First one from Matthew Cooper, who's at Cooper M, where the O's in Cooper are zeros. And he says, are we going to lose all our away games? And if we are, do we basically have to finish the Napoli tie at the Emirates? 
weirdly, I sort of don't worry quite as much about the European games away, which I know is silly because I, I remember Barté. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a it's just a gut feeling. Yes, I think the home leg is going to be massively important. I don't think we'll lose all our away games. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's come to. I don't think we'll lose all our away games. Uh, I, I'd go as far as say we'll probably win some. The issue is going to be, you know, how many of them and what other teams do. I do think the home leg against Napoli is important. Just because we are so good at home, I can actually see us producing a brilliant performance and going there with a lead. But nothing we do is going to make me confident going into the second leg, that's for sure. Right. Even if we win five? Ten nil. Ten nil? Yeah. Okay. Five nil, maybe. Uh, Five nil, okay. I'll I'll be confident. I think we need a big game. I think we need a big game on Thursday for sure. Um, You know, I do wonder if the away thing is simply away or, you know, if the players feel a little bit uncomfortable and intimidated by going to Goodison Park, which today was quiet at times, un. On, uh, on what, that's not the word I'm looking for. Eerily quiet. Uh, there were yeah. periods in the second half where it was just so quiet. It was really strange. Um, mm. You know, if they're getting intimidated by that, what the fuck are they going to be like in Napoli? Where basically everyone who isn't an Arsenal fan in that stadium wants to kill them, like, you know, just kill them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yes, I'm not feeling great about that. Okay. A day at a time. (laughs) One day at a time. Okay, we might feel good come Thursday. Final question, and this is a really good one. It comes from Darren, who's at DazClark89. And he says, would you rather go to jail for a year Mm. or go to jail with a Rubik's Cube and you can leave when you're done? I don't know if I've ever had to do a Rubik's Cube before. Can you do them? No. I'd go to jail for a year because I'd spend the rest of my life in jail if I had to do a Rubik's Cube in order to leave. Yeah. I I think you just take the year and you get on with it. I mean, yeah, because I, I, what if you can't do it? Yeah. What if you just get stuck and you're like, no, I can't figure it out? No. You know the way there are those people, they show the videos sometimes and they, like, get a Rubik's Cube and they scrunchle it all up uh, as, you know, as scrunchily as it can go. Sure. And they hand it to some guy and he goes... And in 14.3 seconds, he's got it done. He's done. It's all perfect. There are people like that. Mm. And then there are people like me (laughs) who, who... who, as good as they are at doing it, I'm as bad. Mm. I could be I, there for 50 years, and I'd never do it. It'd be like the fucking Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. It'd be like, old Blogs there. He's been here for 50 years with his Just Rubik's can't. Cube in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would, I would be, I'd spend the rest of my life in jail. Sure. So I'd take the year and whatever came with it, at least I knew I'd get out. But the the idea of sitting there on my, you know, on my like jail bed with my fucking bucket to have a poo in or whatever, mm. trying to do a Rubik's cube, no, it would just be so frustrating. And at some point, although there used you could peel off the stickers, couldn't you? And just do they do that anymore? Do they have stickers on them? They used to. They used to have stickers. Really? Yeah, the cubes they used to have stickers, and you could just peel the stickers off. But they figure that too out. Easy. I think they're solid now. Yeah, I think they're just that. Clever. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to do it. A year in jail for me. 
but a year, like you could spend every waking hour getting better at doing Rubik's cubes. You I wouldn't still get think. better. I wouldn't get better. Like I'm not. I you know, <laughs> it's just not. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It does. It makes my head hurt. You know the way mm. fundamentally you can understand some things. Like yeah. if you like when I cook, for example, I don't really follow recipes. I just kind of know how stuff works. Sure. Right. You just got natural aptitude Flat. for whatever that is. You know. Right. You know. Do you ever see someone who can't kick a football? Yeah. I mean, I'm not Many talking times. about you. Sure, sure. But you know, you just can't kick it at all. Just can't kick it. Like they've got no coordination. They just do not know or cannot make their legs kick a football properly. That's me with a Rubik's cube. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, you're supposed to not kick it. That's that's I the first piece of advice I give you. Thanks. But that, uh, that's that's my that's my level of of technique with that. I I also would choose a year because the fear. When I can't do something, I lose patience with it very swiftly. Yes. Yeah, I'm not good at applying this is myself. Stupid! What's a, yeah. this? is fucking stupid. No need for any of this. this I would break the Rubik's cube. I would throw the Rubik's cube against the wall and smash it. Yeah. and then I'd be like, "Oh, now I'll die here." <laughs> yeah, can I have another Rubik's cube? No, that wasn't part of our deal. Exactly. And here's big text from the next cell to uh, welcome you in. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely a year. Um, okay, well that's good. I'm sure there are other people out there who would say, oh, that'd be easy. You just do it. Eventually you do it. Surely, is it like the monkey's typewriter thing? You know, monkeys and typewriters and works of Shakespeare, that if you just sat there for long enough going, eventually you get it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. I they, they say that, but I still haven't seen a monkey write anything good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe it's I cruel. would just be one of those monkeys just hammering away at that Rubik's Cube. Yeah. Not come into anything. Yeah, there was a, a raid here in uh, in Dublin during the week. Um, right. And they got a load of uh, guns. Uh, the, the police went in and they, they uh, found this house with a load of guns, a load of cash, a load of drugs, and a monkey. And the monkey, what he had... Organized all these. Guns I don't and drugs know if the monkey was the leader of the gang or not, no. but it was definitely it was definitely a it, monkey. It just seems suspicious that he would be there. Do you know what I mean? Unless he's being framed, and the gangsters were like, "It wasn't us." We could see, yeah, we could see the cops coming. Quick, get the monkey. Put the monkey yeah. near all the incriminating evidence. So here's what they found: two machine guns, five loaded magazines. For the machine yeah. guns, a magnum, 200 rounds of ammunition, 200 shotgun cartridges, a kilogram of cocaine with an estimated street value of 100,000 euros, uh, 29,500 pounds worth of cannabis herb. I believe the kids on the street call that weed. Uh, hydraulic right. presser for the cocaine and a monkey. And there was also was- six dogs and a horse. I mean, these people weren't lying low. They work for the monkey, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like his henchmen. <laughs> <laughs> the monkey, wow, going in, monkey going into the meetings, you know, with, with three dogs either side. Exactly. Riding a horse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. At last, we found something to laugh about on this awful day of football. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Okay. Well, I think we should leave it there. We are going to have another Arsecast Extra on Friday because we play late mm. on 
on Thursday night. Yeah, against Napoli. If you is want it to... late? Is it? It's not six p.m. Silly no, one, is it's it? uh, uh, eight p.m. I think it's an eight p.m. Anyway, it is an eight p.m. Yeah. yeah okay. At the Emirates so. Stadium. So if you want to hear a bit more about Napoli, you can listen back to last Friday's Arscast. Paolo Bandini, who knows uh, all there is to know about Serie A, was on, and he uh, he tells us a bit about Napoli, what to expect from them, where their strengths are, who could be the danger men. But of course, we're at home, so we don't need to worry about any of their danger men until the second leg. Uh, but because the game is on late, we'll have an Arscast, uh, Arscast Extra on Friday. Join us for that. And uh, for now, I'm going to go drink a beer. Enjoy it. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.